God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Please be seated. So the wise men uh, arrive tonight uh, to worship the Christ child. The Magi is one of the names that they have. Um, astronomers, astrologers from Persia, what is now Iran. They're seekers after truth. They're seekers after truth. And in the ancient world, one of the ways that you sought for the truth, one of the ways that you sought for enlightenment was that you, you studied the heavens, you studied the stars. There you would see the, the order of the universe, that there was a regularity about things, that there was a, there was a logos, there was a, a discoverable order to things. And you would look for um, intimations of truth in the heavens. You have, a, you have astrology now in the, in the local papers, and it's, uh, you know, what, you know, it's either, it, it, it's either superstition or it's, uh, or, or, or entertainment, it's one or the other. Um, in the ancient world, there was real philosophy mixed in with the astrology, and uh, real wisdom, and real desire, and a seeking after truth. And so they see, they see a sign in the heavens, a, a wonder, a star. Now, what was the star? A lot of speculation about this. The great astronomer Kepler thought that it was a comet, but there's no comet recorded at the right time. Well, you know, not everybody's recording comets in the ancient world, but those, that, those records that exist, there's no comet recorded at the right time. The Chinese astronomers do record a supernova that would be at about the right time. But I think that the most plausible explanation is that they saw a conjunction of planets. Uh, they saw Jupiter, Jupiter and Saturn come together, and Jupiter and Saturn, Saturn come together in the sky, and it makes an incredibly bright object. And Jupiter and Saturn come together, and they come together in the uh, constellation of Pisces. Right. So Jupiter, Jupiter is the, the star of the king. Uh, those of you who know about the Chronicles of Narnia and have read the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Road Wardrobe will know that there's, um, there's a, a, a medieval, or not medieval, but uh, yeah, Renaissance, medieval uh, tradition of literature behind that that has to do with the planets and what the planets symbolize. And um, uh, Jupiter is the, is the planet that's in the background of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's the jovial planet. It's the planet of the king. That's a book about the king. It's, a plant, it's the planet of the king. Jupiter is the planet of the king. And Saturn, in the ancient uh, understanding, was the star of the west. So if what's, west of, what's west of Persia, what's west of Persia or Iran, what's west of Persia is Palestine. And Pisces was regarded as being the constellation of the last age. Um, you know, the world is divided into chapters. Well, here comes the last and most significant chapter. This is, this is we're, coming to the, we're coming to the finale here. So uh, it's entirely plausible that an ancient astronomer, a seeker after truth, would see this sign, and the sign interpreted would be, there's a new king, a new king of the West, of Palestine, and it's the king of the last age. Now, if this is true, this would be the hinge upon which world history would then turn. 
And so these seekers after truth, and they're, they're, they, they also are, in the way of understanding of the Bible, they represent the nations, and, and the tradition of the church is that each one represents a different continent. Now, one of the things that the prophets of Israel have said about the Messiah, the promised king who is to come, the one who is to set everything right, the one who is to reorder the human heart and reorder the human community, the one who is to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the one who, Ezekiel says, will be God himself, the king, come to dwell with his people and fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham that through his people, he was going to bless all the people of the earth. and dwell himself in the midst of his people and heal them and restore them and reconsecrate them and return them to the vocation to which he called them in and through Abraham, which is that they should be a light to the nations. They should be a city set upon a hill that they should so live towards God and towards each other that all the nations would come. And the prophet Haggai uh, gives his prophecy, and it's a prophecy like most of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's a prophecy of judgment. God's judgment is upon you because you have this great vocation to live as God's people, to be a light to the nations, and you're letting it fall to the ground, and therefore God's judgment is going to come upon you. But God's judgment is going to come upon all nations. And when the Messiah is sung, one of my favorite parts of the Messiah is when the bass sings this prophecy from Haggai, and I will shake all nations. But when God gets done shaking all the nations, when God gets done shaking all the nations, shaking all the regimes, shaking up all those who are in power, when God gets done shaking all the nations, then the desire of the nations will come. The desire of the nations for justice, the desire of the nations for righteousness, the desire of the nations for holiness, the desire of the nations for healing, the desire of the nations to really know who God is and to have communion, holy communion with God. The desire of the nations will come. And this is one of the things that is said about the Christ, the promised king, when he becomes he will fulfill the desire of all the nations. So we see the nations coming. And they come to Jerusalem. And they go to the court of Herod. Now, uh, Herod is, is a, a, a client king who's been installed by the Romans. And he's, in the eyes of the Jewish people, he's not really Jewish. He's an Edomian. Uh, he's actually descended from some of their ancestral enemies. He's married into the, to the Jewish clan. Uh, his, his claim upon the throne uh, by any other means other than by the imperial might that stands behind him is thin indeed. And so when these foreigners come and they come to his court and he receives them as, a, you know, noble peers, and they inquire of him. They say, we've seen the sign that a king is being born. Where might we find him? And Herod uh, 
sends for the scribes of the Jewish religion. And they come up with this prophecy from Malachi that the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. Malachi is writing about 650 years before the birth of Christ. And he's writing at a very dark time in the history of Israel. It's the time of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, uh, Ahab is remembered as one of the wickedest kings that ever was. And he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel brings with her a hundred priests of uh, her fertility god from the land that she comes from. And they pollute the land with this uh, false worship. And Ahab was such a wicked man, he wanted uh, the vineyard of his neighbor Naboth to have for a kitchen garden. And uh, Naboth won't sell it to him, it's his, it's his patrimony. Naboth won't sell it to him. And Jezebel said to him, well, take it, just take it. And so uh, Ahab has Naboth killed, and he takes his uh, vineyard. That's the kind of person that he was. And God raises up the, the prophet Malachi, and Malachi gives this judgment again. You, because of this wickedness, the judgment of God is going to come upon you. And you're going to be conquered. You're going to be taken into exile. And it happens. But Malachi also says, but God, it, it, is, it is in the nature of God to forgive, and it is in the nature of God to restore, and it is in the nature of God to bring back the exiles. It is in the nature of God to reconcile his people to himself. And there will rise up a king, the desire of the nations. And he will accomplish the purposes of God. And all the promises that have made, been made to Abraham will come true in and through him. And where will this Christ, this Messiah, this promised king be born? He will be born in Bethlehem. And so they read out the scripture to, uh, to inherit hearing. And, and it shakes all Jerusalem, it says. Well, we can see this, Herod, he has a, he's, he's nervous about his position, he's nervous about his authority. Josephus tells us that he was an absolutely cruel and ruthless ruler. And the regimes which, which the, the regimes which want ultimate authority are always shaken by the news that the Messiah, the Christ, has come. The 20th century was a, the great century of, of, uh, of statist regimes that demanded ultimate authority. And it's no accident that they all hated the Jews. The Nazis hated the Jews, but so did the Soviets. It's not an accident. Because the chosen people speak of an ultimate authority that stands over and above the state. And the resurgence of Jew hatred in our time is no accident. As ideologies rise up that demand absolute and ultimate allegiance. Um, Christian people are commanded in the Bible to have respect for the legitimate authorities. But we also, uh, we, we're, to render to we're to render to Caesar that which is Caesar, but we're to render to the Lord that which is the Lord. There's no regime on earth 
that can demand ultimate allegiance. Our ultimate allegiance is to God alone. And um, the, the regimes and the ideologies that resent the idea that they are accountable to some authority greater than themselves will always hate the Jewish people. And, and more and more, I think, the contempt and the hatred that has fallen upon the Jewish people will fall upon the church. So all Jerusalem is shaken. And then the wise men go on and they are led by the star and they, it's interesting, they find the place the star stops and then they go into the home. Now there's this, you know, was he born in a stable or was he born in a home? And I think probably the right answer is both. He was born in a one room home that had a stable down below. It just, you know, so the, the you'd, you'd come into the house and the animals would be there and about animal head height would be a manger carved into the rock and then you'd go up a few stairs and you'd be in the living space and then there'd be an extra room, a spare room on the ceiling. On the, on the, on the, on the, on the, on the, would be the spare room would be the top floor and there was no room you see in the, well the, the, the word there is, is the room, the word for the spare room. There'd be no room in the inn. There'd be no room in the spare, no room in the spare room. So the child had to be born in the family room. And, and where was the convenient place to make the manger, but in the place where the ass and the ox would get their food. So he was born him who is the desire of the nations. Is born not in the palace, but in an ordinary home. And we're called to make our homes the place where the desire of the nations can take up his dwelling. And in a few moments, we'll come up and we'll make a manger out of our hands. And the desire of the nations will be placed in our hands. These men are looking for truth. They're looking for righteousness. They're looking for peace. They're looking for justice. They're looking for healing. They're looking for God, and what they find is in their search, which represents the desire of the nations, what they find is God's desire for the nations come to meet them. And the deepest longings of the human heart and God's longing to reconcile all people to himself meet in the house in Bethlehem. Come, desire of nations, come. Come in part to every trembling heart. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.